0: And what yoga practice really is, is the calming of your mind so that you can have proper discernment. And it's not just the physical poses, but it's really a cultivation of your lifestyle.
1: Welcome to a new episode of Most Memorable Journeys. My guest today is a very fascinating lady, and um, I've met her a while ago, a year ago, a little bit more than a year ago in London at the Global Woman Summit last year. And then I saw her again very recently in Los Angeles, and I keep finding out more and more about her. Like, for example, I did not know that she was an underwater photographer. I knew that she was a fantastic yoga practitioner. And so Most Memorable Journeys is definitely interested in underwater photography and so many other things that I want to talk about with Choi Rika Miyataki. Did I say that right? Welcome to Most Memorable Journeys.
0: I'm so excited to be here.
1: Thank you so much for having me. So, how is California since I left?
0: Well, we've been having I you know, I spend so much time underwater, <laughs> but you
1: don't That's know what really, the
0: weather is like. <laughs> it's almost like I, those are the conditions that I care about the most. So when when people ask me, usually they ask me how's the visibility of the water, how is the, you know the the um, how are the currents and and how's the kelp looking. So I spend more time underwater. And because of that, when people ask about how's the, how's it been here?" I' I could say, well, we've had really great conditions. It's been flat. you know, the, I've seen some really big fish swim through and and I've been getting in the water maybe six times a week. so wow, to me that wow. means that means that means it's been it's been going really well here in Los Angeles. <laughs>
1: fantastic. But I want to start differently. Let's start from the beginning. most memorable okay. journeys. When were you on a plane for the first time?
0: plane for the first time wow you really caught me off guard here you see the very (laughs) first time that I was on a plane you know does it have to be when I remembered it because I was a very small child and my parents took me to Hawaii
1: okay so did you travel a lot with your parents did you travel as a child
0: we traveled some I, I do remember Hawaii and then when I was in my middle school days. I think I qualified for a trip to a space camp-like experience. So we went to Florida and my dad took me to New Orleans afterwards. And he knew that my sister really loved Emerald Agassi. So we went to his restaurant. He really did a lot for us in, in terms of travel. And then when I was in high school, my mom let me go to France. And that was twice. And I was I felt so lucky because that's a big trip from here in Los Angeles to go all the way across this country and then across the ocean and then to another country, because I did study French for uh, for the entirety of my high school experience. So I was able to use it.
1: Yeah, this is true because one doesn't realize people who live, I don't know, here in Cyprus or in Europe. They don't just we just don't realize how big the United States of America are, because, you know, flying from L.A. to New York can be anything between. I was lucky when I flew to New York last week because we had good wind It was only four and a half hours. But I have been on planes where it was nearly six
0: mm-hmm. Right. And I i mean, from where I lived in Los Angeles, I went to my undergraduate school as far as you can in, in Amherst, Massachusetts. That's about a six hour plane ride. And then for graduate school, I went six hours into the ocean. I was in Hawaii for my graduate education. So I, I got 3000 miles apart both ways. Amazing. Amazing. So then. We, as
1: I said, we met in London last year and I knew that you were a yoga practitioner. How did that start? How did you become fascinated with yoga?
0: Well, after I went through my graduate school experience, I think there were some things that I didn't know that I wouldn't love about it. And I had a, I guess I had a nervous breakdown and I went to my doctors and they put me on a lot of medication. I wasn't sure what I could do because I used, always used, my mental facilities to do things, and I thought, well, it's becoming a challenge being on these medications. And I thought, you know what, I could do—I could still tell people to breathe in and breathe out and move their body in a certain way. So I started teaching in 2008, and I wasn't sober. And I did get sober seven, eight years ago. And at that time, I just discovered what's called yoga therapy. I used the tools from yoga therapy to stay sober for as long as I've been and because these tools are holistic I was able to really incorporate developing my relationships and my holistic health into a place where I didn't feel like using ever again
1: that's amazing so let's take this from the practical side for someone who okay you t- you did a lot of work you you were not you had you were on medication you wanted to get off the medication so you went all out I would imagine and you be and then you ended up being a practitioner but let's say somebody is listening to this today and is depressed maybe on something that uh, they don't like they're not sober how much yoga work does one need to do to feel better? If somebody doesn't have time, for example, and say, oh, you know, I don't have time for this. This is too time consuming for me. What's the minimum that can bring results?
0: Well, like I said, I was not sober for about, well, I'd say not for about 10 years, but for the majority of me being a yoga teacher, um, when I was teaching public classes, I don't think I was entirely clean in my head. I had a lot of medications going through my system that were, were... we're messing with my mind. So I would say that even those years that I was teaching and I was considering that practice, I'm I'm not sure if I even put in eight hours a day, it would have been enough. What happened when I worked with the right practitioner or the right mentor, I worked with my yoga therapist and I credit him all the time, Robert Bernberg. He's now in Australia, giving me a singular practice and meeting with him. I met with him maybe 10 times. I signed up for 10 sessions and he gave me a at home practice, and I did that daily. And you know, any time I had issues, I talked to him. That was what got me on track. So maybe that would be the minimum that I needed at that time. And and it's about finding the right teacher, I guess, the right mm-hmm. person that stays with you.
1: So the message here is that don't give up, but don't give up so easily. It takes time. It's you know, there is no when you are when you have a problem, whatever it is. There isn't any overnight cure, but if we are consistent and we believe that it's going to work out and we work daily, and I think we work all our lives because even when we have overcome one obstacle, there is another one. There is always something happening in our lives. So I think it's important to know that regularity and consistency is key.
0: I'm agreeing with you. Absolutely. It's just just keep looking for those little nuggets, those little nudges to get you to, you know, the next next step. And, you know, the yoga, what we say is, if you read, the yoga is about the sutras, there's these lines. And when you read the lines, they don't really mean too much. But when you have a teacher that unpacks the lines for you, the very first line is, Ata Yoga Anushasanam, And when you read those lines and you have your teacher unpack it, Ata is now. And the way that my teacher says it, he says, well, you know, I've tried all these different ways of dealing with myself. I've tried, you know, medications. I've tried, you know, sitting. I've gone to do all these types of things and, you know, it didn't work. I've I've tried sex. I've tried, you know, dating different people. You know, I don't know why it's not working, but Ata means like finally now. Now begins what yoga practice is. And what yoga practice really is, is the calming of your mind so that you can have proper discernment. And it's not just the physical poses, but it's really a cultivation of your lifestyle.
1: And I think um, it's also important to know that all we ever have is now because there is no point in dwelling on the past because no matter what it is, we can't change it. And there is also no point in worrying out the f- about the future because we don't know if we
0: have one. So enjoying the now is key. Absolutely. And yet if you told me that 10 years ago, I don't know how I would have reacted the same way maybe. And I, and I understand that, you know, the mind that is suffering needs compassion.
1: Oh yes. And I know that also, when I, I am a coach and I often um, have people who come to see me who, who have a uh, depression and it's not as easy as some people make it sound, you know, when you are in this deep, deep, dark hole, um it takes a while to get out of them it takes a lot of compassion it takes patience and it's you know you cannot just like some people say you know just snap out of it that is not as easy as it sounds
0: exactly so in yoga we say there's different ways to get to the the top of the mountain you can take you know the medication route and you just have to have a person who is able to give it to you regularly so you know you could take the soma um or you can take mantra you know, well, you could be born that way. Being born that way, my teacher says it's always best to avoid people who are born that way because they're going to tell you it's easy. <laughs> if you're, you know, if you've never dealt with addiction and you're talking to the guru who's never dealt with addiction and you are dealing with addiction, I mean, he'll say, "Oh, well, just just stop." <laughs> yes. And say, well, if I could just stop, I would have. But if you're looking for the, so we're looking for the acharya. The acharya is the person who has walked the path, and if they have walked that path. And they can tell you a few ways to get through. And then with yoga, it's called the, it's almost like a switchback trail. And so we're creating new neural imprints into your mind so that you can find your way back up to the top. And for myself, I have fallen multiple times from my lifestyle, from, you know, I've had a relapse and I come down to the bottom, but I'm able to find my way back up because I've created such a strong neural pathway.
1: And I think that is also totally okay that you fall back sometimes. And that again, there is no, I have never met anybody in my life who had a perfect life. I have met people who pretended to have a perfect life. But when you have a little closer look, you realize that it doesn't exist. And we all have our ups and downs. And I think if we manage to enjoy our ups, then we can deal with the downs better. Mm -hmm. So let's this has become very serious, this whole conversation mm-hmm. here. <laughs> Let's get a bit more joyful, but it's useful for people to know, especially when they are in a difficult place sometimes, to know that there is a way out, um, that there are people who can help them, take them by the hand. Also, I think it's also important to understand that we have to do it ourselves. Nobody can do it for us, but we can have somebody who guides us. And um, But I want to talk about something cool that you do. You do yoga retreats and you go to really cool places. I don't remember. I went through your Instagram. I think you went to Cambodia or was it Vietnam?
0: Cambodia. Yes. So, I mean, not to bring it dark again, but I worked with Cambodian genocide survivors for four and a half years in Long Beach, California. And that's how I started developing my connection and love for the country of Cambodia.
1: How was it? How was your experience in Cambodia?
0: Well, I loved it so much. I I think I've spent somewhere between four and six months there off and on in the last uh, four years. So, so they definitely like it. <laughs> there's something very special about the country, and you know, I have because I've formed a relationship with many of my students who are originally from Cambodia. I guess I have a a very it feels like a very intimate connection to the country, and I guess because of the particular work that I do, I have great you know friends and peers who inspire me. And I keep going back so that I can share new teachings that I have with yoga therapy and positive psychology with the young teachers there and that I can lead them, teach them to lead their own ceremonies in the future. And the mm-hmm. ceremonies are the ancestral healing because of the trauma of the genocide, which, you know, a quarter of the population was killed. There's a lot of healing for this country.
1: Wow, that sounds very, very, um, again, very deep. Um, will you be going back? is there going to be more I,
0: Cambodia I will be, I will be going back in uh in either the end of this year which is 2023 and then hosting another retreat in 2024 January.
1: We will be putting um Joyce website and Instagram in the show notes in case somebody wants to go with her but there is more you also go to Mexico and I what where else do you go for retreats?
0: Uh I hosted the 2020. Twenty-two retreat in Yucatan because Cambodia was still closed. <laughs> uh, they were you know, not not opening the country yet, or you had to pay $2,000, I think, to get into the country. So I was going to Mexico a lot because of the free diving that I study. With my free diving, it's just brought me to a whole new depth, I guess. <laughs> uh, we to get to that down. in a minute.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so Mexico, okay. And Mexico is also easier for you being in California. It's the same time zone as well. There is no not so much traveling. And um, so for somebody who wants to join you and not go so far, will you be doing Mexico again?
0: I would love to do Mexico again. I'm just waiting for the right audience, I guess, for the, waiting for the right time. And I know it because I feel it. There's this, Every time I've hosted this, it's almost like a calling to to host the retreats. So I know I'll be called there again. I know I'll be called to Peru. I've already felt that one. And I haven't even been there yet. That's the funny thing about some of the callings that you feel is is you feel the deep connection and you're like, oh, I know I need to go do this. It's about that intuitive hearing and listening. And I hear
1: a lot. Do we Mm -hmm. listen enough, you think? That's an interesting subject here again. Do you believe that people listen to their intuition enough I hate to say it, but no <laughs> <laughs> I know I mean, it is a very general question and probably maybe, but I, I I believe no because um there's a lot of um influence and a lot of a lot of superficiality because people just get led by, I don't know, by by um being in a, not taking responsibility for their lives maybe, and just being kind of very often in the victimhood. I think listening to yourself and, and that's, that goes back to yoga, doesn't it? That, that goes back to going into yourself and listening what your body and your mind tells you.
0: Right. And I'm going to draw that link back into the trauma experience because for myself, I've always been gung-ho about moving into what I want to do next. When I wanted to go to a certain school, I was like, back in my bags, I'm going 3,000 miles away. I'm going to go to school. I'm going to go to school again. And I didn't care. Like I knew I had to do it. What other people wanted from me didn't matter. And then it stopped because I had an experience that shook me so much that I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't trust myself anymore. And I understand how that would limit somebody's self-confidence and belief where they would be able to trust themselves again because they need to heal from the trauma. And I was going to say that I saw that in in, you know, my clients when I worked with them, is that, you know, I could recognize that one of my students never wanted to go back to Cambodia because she wanted to visit her grandson who couldn't come, but she wasn't able to. And you know, I share this story because she allows me to. I don't mm-hmm. usually share too many stories, but I said, well, what if we all went together? And she said, well, maybe. And so that's how I started the retreats to Cambodia. It was that this one woman so that she could have the exposure and go back to visit. And I worked with her a couple more times after I went. I showed her all these beautiful pictures. I said, your grandson's amazing. You know, you, he's so polite. He's so genuine. He's so intelligent, so respectful. And, you know, all these photos, she said, I had no idea how beautiful this country would could be. Three sessions later, the next thing was like, it was December, then January, he sent me the picture of her grandmother visiting for the first time. And to me, those are the kind of developed connections and that the bonds that I have with with watching somebody remove the trauma so that they can get back in touch with their intuition from their inner guidance and then live that, you know, hate to be cliche, but live their life of their dreams because it's not stopping them anymore. But it stopped them and saved them, because it needed to for a certain point of their lives. Wow!
1: And you know, we all have so much healing to do, but um, we have to do it. We cannot just ignore it, because that's again, that's where where things become superficial. But when we actually go back to the, as, coming back to intuition, so healing because we all have some kind of trauma from somewhere whether everybody, I don't think I know anybody who doesn't, hasn't been traumatized in one way or the other. So yeah, there is a lot of work to do in our lives and it can be fun. It can be, but I want to change the subject now. I want to go to that. What really fascinated me when I I didn't know that, the diving, the, the underwater photography, how did that start?
0: That was a pandemic hobby. (laughs) It's so funny because um, I would go swimming by myself. I've always been drawn to the ocean and even just snorkeling. And I would swim by myself all the time. And as I came out of the ocean, I saw two people carrying, I guess I saw them wearing a wetsuit, big fins and a spear gun. And I said, what are you doing? They said, spearfishing. And I was like, wow, I gotta figure out how to do that. And it started, my underwater photography started because I was spearfishing. I would go into the ocean and I would collect fish and I would bring it back to eat. I was worried about the supply chain. I was thinking, you know, this would be a good good thing to learn since I had some time. And I also noticed how beautiful it was. I was, I was I felt like I was an eagle in the top of a forest swimming through the kelp, and I would swoop down. And I would see all these beautiful animals and I, it was, I wanted to share that. I wanted to share that with the people around me so that they could see how beautiful it was. And that's when I started bringing, you know, underwater cameras in. So I could say, well, this is, you know, can you believe this exists here? This is amazing.
1: (laughs) There is a whole world out down there, isn't there, that we don't see if we don't go there.
0: Right. And I get that, you know, I understand there may be fears for some people that they didn't want to go into the water. They're not maybe a water confident in the water, but that's one of my retreats in the Yucatan is to get people comfortable really being in the water and learning how to free dive and learning yeah, how to... Yeah, but from the pictures that I see, free diving is, is diving without a bottle.
1: Free diving is is not breathing.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. In another language, uh, languages, it's called apnea? Yes. That's it's a Greek outrageous. word.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: So it's yeah. I think the Greeks may have
1: invented it. Actually, possibly they, they have a, they have invented many things. I don't know if you ever watched that movie, um, the Big Fat Greek Wedding, because that man there in the movie says every word in the world has been invented by the Greeks. So <laughs> 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 but yes. Um, so, how long can you stay in underwater? And how do you train it?
0: Well, if you're training for it, you can stay under the water for a couple of minutes. and If you're not training, it'll be maybe a few seconds. So every once in a while, I'll push myself and I'll go do a master training. So like I said, this is a very new sport for me. I haven't even been doing it for three years, but I've done two different master's programs. And one was in the Yucatan um, and one was in Dahab in Egypt. And what you'll do is just day after day, you you practice going down and you stay down a little bit longer. You have people on top as safeties making sure that you're not going to pass out when you come back up because you're pushing yourself to new depth. And then you log everything and you learn about what's going to make how you how you're doing, what you're feeling. So you get more in touch with your body. you you hold your breath for any amount of time and you push yourself, you're gonna notice this little hiccup feeling. So you learn how to work with your little hiccup feelings and, and, and get comfortable being uncomfortable.
1: And again, it goes back to breathing because, I mean, yoga is breathing. Underwater diving is, uh, free diving is breathing. It's, um, and it's one thing that, you know, we can live without food for a long time. We can live without water for quite a long time, but we cannot live without breathing for very long. So it's one thing that we do automatically and maybe sometimes don't appreciate enough that we can do it when we are free. I think also how um, trauma and, and pain and depression can actually affect your breathing breathing
0: you've nailed it yes that's that's right that's the connection is is breathing is the connection between the yoga and the free diving because it is all breath work and even when we're talking about trauma it's very challenging to have a panic attack or anxiety attack and I've had those in the past when you're taking a long exhale I'm not ready to try it
1: but yes (laughs) you take photographs though that 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 came afterwards first you went freediving you went spare fishing you watched these people do it you went do it and then you started taking a camera with you and then you offered it as a service
0: right well <laughs> in addition to me being interested in all of these things my family has had a photography business this year would be now 100 years so I was raised in a photography household in a family, in a studio, really. My great-grandfather was a photographer pre-World War II doing pictorial work next to Edward um, Edward Weston and Ansel Adams. And he was interned at Manzanar during World War II. It's an internment camp for Japanese Americans, if you didn't know about it, where they put everybody was Japanese into the camps and they put in a little camera lens and a and they took pictures, he took pictures my grandfather became a photographer in the same community and then my father was also a photographer and he would drag me to weddings on the weekends to take pictures and his work became uh, he has some he has a photograph in the Smithsonian and from a very young age i was reloading cameras and scanning portraits and scanning different works of my great grandfather into collections and so I developed the eye, probably unconsciously, uh, just because I was doing it so much. And, you know, with cell phones, it's easy to, to, to frame and take pictures. And anytime I do post pictures, people always are like, this is a really great picture. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, I became so that people wanted me to take their picture for money. And I'm like, well, I have a studio. So, so sure, I'll, I'll take your photograph. And that's how I became an underwater photographer, I guess. <laughs> A lot of family history and a lot of just pas- just being passionate about what I love doing.
1: A hundred years of photography is a long time. Um, we have a lot
0: of stories. Yes, yes, you
1: must have. I'm sure. I'm sure. I, 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 um, I saw in uh, on your social media that your father passed, but I am sure he would have a lot of stories to tell as well about people being difficult sometimes when you want to take their photograph.
0: I could tell you those stories too. I was but tell sometimes- me a few. <laughs> Oh well, this was back. I mean, one funny story. This is not. I don't know how funny it is, but difficult is. You know, we would take wedding portraits, wedding. You know, wedding photo- photographs. We'd do candid's and we would do set up with the lights and all that. But this was back before digital. <laughs> and back before digital, you needed to take all your film and then have them developed and processed, and you would make a, a you know a sheet, and those were the proof prints. And you'd take your clients come in and they would look at the proof prints a couple of weeks after their wedding. And I think one couple I remember got divorced before they came oh. to pick up the proof prints. And I remember sometimes we would just be stuck with them. So they'd be in the back of the studio and be like, wow, they, that's, and I I think because of that, it made me a little bit jaded to want my own wedding. I'm like, oh, this is just I don't know. It's so much drama. It's so much, it, it it left an impression on me as a young person being, you know, dragged to weddings every weekend. <laughs> um, yes, I can imagine
1: that because you're there behind the scenes and you see everything happen, and you probably go as a photographer. You go there right from the beginning, you know, because you have to take photographs of not of the preparations as well. I think that is another totally different subject uh, uh, away from yoga and and uh, free diving but weddings are stressful. I'm sure you must have seen a lot of stress. You know, people don't have time to enjoy their weddings very often because it's too stressful.
0: Right. And then, you know, being in a family business too, my, you know, your dad will just say, go over there, do that, put the lights up. And, And it is, it is a big show and it is, it is stressful. But now that I've, and you could say the same about, about certain aspects of diving where you're in the kelp and you, you can, if you're not cool, if you don't have your breath collected and calm, or even traveling, when you have, you know, so many bags to check out and and you as a travel, you know, tour guide, I'm sure that's a, can be very stressful. And if you don't have calming techniques to, you know, get everyone around you calm and to navigate smoothly, you know, you, that requires a lot of self-control.
1: Yeah. And I think that's where we go back to where we come back to yoga or any kind of relaxation, um, way of ways of relaxation and how important it is. Because when we don't do any of these things and when we are stressed, stress creates disease. And, um, you know, sometimes people just go, they, they just test their limits and then get sick and then they, un- they don't understand why. I think. Prevention is is another thing. Why would somebody do all this yoga or all this breathing or, or or all this? It's to prevent stuff, isn't it?
0: Absolutely. And when you said stress makes you sick, it's I I felt that to my core because I remember I would not to get sick all the time, but I was very unwell. I had severe arthritis running down from my neck to my fingertips, and I was bedridden. That's why I was on so many medications because. I really wasn't aligned. I was completely ignoring my body. I was completely ignoring my breath, just all the unconscious being, you know, below the iceberg, all the things that were going on under the surface. I may have looked okay because I was young into my twenties and I could, you know, bend my body in half teaching yoga. <laughs> and yet inside I wasn't, I was not happy. And, you know, working on the alignment pieces I and mean, you know as a coach you are i'm unsure that you see that when that person makes the connection all areas of their life improve not just maybe making more money not just you know their relationship improving but their overall health their excitement for life their joie de
1: vivre i so agree and i often say that that's why i love what i'm doing because I love watching people suddenly let go. You can see it. There is actually a physical shift when you see somebody getting rid of a, something that has limited them for all their lives, sometimes for a long time. And I can I I always say I would like to film my clients when they come in, and I would like to film them when they go out, even just after one session, because they're taller. They let go of stuff and it makes them feel so much more you can see the the face lights up and that's that's the joy of 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 this job that we do of helping people feel better and again you know saying it again we cannot do it for them but we can definitely take them by the hand and open a few doors they will still have to go through the door themselves but we can open it
0: I love that yeah I completely agree (laughs) yeah
1: So, what's the next trip? I know that we're going to meet in London in a couple of months. Is there anything before?
0: Actually, there is. I am le- I'm, I'm um, co-hosting or I'm helping out teaching a spearfishing taster day in Cornwall on July. Wow, 8. is
1: that is that going to be combined with the trip to the UK, or will it be two trips?
0: It will be. I'm going to. It's so funny. The coincidence is just today. I got an email that my 2020 trips that were canceled, Like they gave me a voucher for just today. So I'm gonna fly, use those vouchers and fly in on July 5th and then go visit Cornwall for one week. And then I'll be right over in London for the big event. And I'll be hopefully not jet lagged at all because I have you know the whole week of spearfishing and being in connected to nature. So you'll see me in a very... like joy will
1: be in a joyful mood very very joyful remember that last year when we when we were in london together we went on a red bus we went on a
0: we did some amazing tour touring of london that was my first time in london so now you're coming back. And
1: while we're here, we might as well do a little advertising for the Global Woman Club, because the reason why we know each other is because you are a member of the Global Woman Club Los Angeles. I am the Global Woman Club director in Cyprus. And this is how we bring people together, women together. And I think it's beautiful to make all these really meaningful connections. And that you know, that's why we are talking here on this um p- podcast episode. And I think life is all about connections.
0: It's an amazing club. I am so grateful for Mirella and for you and for all the directors and for the club members who show up week or month after month, week after week for each other in all of the events in the master classes and the big summits that we have. And there's it's, I'm, I just feel very lucky to have found the group. And I'd say that if you're curious at all, attend one of many med- meetings, because I'm sure she would show you an amazing time. And I'd say, I, I even brought a male, you know, guest, my friend uh, came from San Diego and I said, well, you're coming this weekend. This is what's happening. And I, he loved it. So regardless of of how you identify too, as you don't identify as a woman, I say you still show up because there's a lot of just good energy and people who really want to support, connect, lift up each other and see how they can contribute to the community and in and each other's lives.
1: Yeah, that is true. And I don't think I have ever left any of those meetings anywhere I am, whether it's here in my meetings in Cyprus or wherever I go, you feel good afterwards you just feel uplifted because there is so much good energy and so much support and we're already getting very close to the end of this podcast episode but i have one last question for you joy you mentioned something about being happy before what does happiness mean to you what is happiness
0: i would say can i ask can i can i switch the question to joy what is joy for me yes I found this. It says joy is the kind of happiness that doesn't depend on what happens.
1: Wow. That is created inside of you.
0: Right. It's the difference between being warmed by the sun and being the sun.
1: Ooh, that is short and very, very to the point. And we can all, we all have that sun inside of us.
0: We do. And, you know, sometimes in life you can kind of get, we call it like there's something that gets stuck on you and you need to clean it off so that your light can be shining and you could feel the warmth of within because it's comes from within. And it's sometimes you might experience it as coming from another person because that person has cleaned you up a little bit. They've seen your, they've seen your light and they've connected to your light. And I think that's what, you know, you and I, we do as teachers is what we see that light in that person. And we see, Hey, you know, you have that in you. It's right there. When you show it to them or you reflect it back at them, they can experience it a little bit warmer and then they get reminded on how to activate themselves from within again.
1: Wow. I think that's a very beautiful way to end this episode because um, we all have that light within us and we just sometimes needed to clean it up a little bit. Sometimes we need to sort of stop the air from making it flicker too much. So Let's leave it here with the light. Thank you so much for being on Most Memorable Journeys today. Joy Erika Miyataki, I love your name.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It's been my pleasure. If you enjoy my podcast, please
1: like, share and subscribe to my channel. You will find all the information
0: in the show notes.